Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined right now by Dave. Becky will be along a little bit later with a special guest for the fan question segment of the podcast, so make sure you stick around for that. Um, it's going to be a really fun show, but just Dave and I. So I think, Dave, this is probably the first, I think this is the first time we're, we're just going with a, with a duo here. So I'm excited. How are you doing on this fine Tuesday evening as we look ahead to another very interesting week of Ranger Hockey? So this is definitely the first duo podcast I've ever done, actually. So this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it, even though I do temporarily miss Becky for the next, I don't know, half an hour or so. Uh, I am actually good. I know earlier in the day you were teasing that I'm a little ornery, and I'm sure you're going to try to poke the bear a little bit, but I just had a fistful of peanut butter M&Ms, and I'm good. Really great snack choice there. I I like peanut as my number one choice, but peanut butter is no. like a it's like a one B. It's a one A one B situation for me. No, no, no. The one A one B is peanut butter M and M's, pretzel M and M's, and what you do is you mix mm-hmm. them together so you can get a little bit of the crunchy. Pe- you get like the crunchy, salty peanut butter sweet, and it's amazing. And I will accept no other substitute for a 1A, 1B. Peanut M&Ms are wildly overrated. The only reason why I buy them is because they're like five bucks at Costco for, you know, 9,000 of them. (laughs) They do sell these mixed packs of uh, M&Ms now, too. I don't know if you've seen those. And I don't know if Pretzel's incorporated in any of them. But I've seen the regular peanut and peanut butter all in one package which i think is a little bit silly it's a little bit redundant but it, it is. i bought what's that a couple of times that? and yeah. what's the point of that? i know or also plain like... m&ms are worthless absolutely worthless yeah, i don't like plain m&ms i'd rather have crispy Agreed. m&ms than plain m&ms and crispy m&ms are not good yeah no I, i'm with you on that so well listen i i wouldn't be a good podcast host if i didn't try to provoke a little bit of a reaction, whether it's from you, whether it's from Becky, whether it's from one of our our, our special guests. Um, you know, we obviously had a great time last week talking to Arthur Staple. Um, and, you know, we'll probably have him back on the show at some point. Oh, but, you know, as we... I, I just, we I realized I forgot to, to ask him a question. You know, with the whole last question thing I asked about Georgiev, I had it in my head the entire time to ask him what the fuck happened to the Mean Tweets video. Yes. And, and he I, would be the guy that oh, I could run that. On that. Down. Oh, oh, I have shame. Well, now we have to definitely have him back on. So we'll we'll look to we'll look to talk to Arthur again. Um, he also had Neil Smith on his podcast this week. I definitely want to check that out. Oh, said a lot of interesting stuff about yeah about how to you know just his experiences as, as a GM building the '94 team, what it was like to draft back then, how some of those big deadline trades came together. Uh, so definitely we'll want to check that out. Um, but yeah, on to this week's uh, show. So, you know, normally we kind of go game by game in the first part of the show. We, we talk about what we liked and didn't like from, you know, the, the most recent Ranger performances. But so much news broke, you know, over the uh, Monday and Tuesday right of this week as we now you know speak to you on Wednesday morning. And we're also looking very much forward to uh, maybe I'm saying that slightly tongue in cheek. 
to Pavel Buchnevich's return to Madison Square Garden this evening as the St. Louis Blues come to town to play the Rangers. It's a 7.30 start. It's a nationally televised game, I believe, so uh, make sure to adjust your schedules accordingly. I'll be at the game, so it should be a good time. But, you know, I did just want to get your broadly your thoughts, Dave, on, on how the Rangers are playing lately, right? So we had the really good win over the Caps, kind of a dominant, comprehensive 4-1 win, a very tightly contested playoff-style game against the Penguins Saturday afternoon. Could have gone either way. Rangers lose one nothing. They get shut out for only the third time this year. And then Sunday is the big letdown game after a decent first period where they got more than decent, a good first period where they got goalied, uh, the fatigue. And I think, frankly, just the lack of of energy um, caught up to them and they lost, you know, in very convincing fashion to the Vancouver Canucks five to two in what amounted to a JT Miller audition uh, for potentially a landing spot uh, at the trade deadline. But just wanted to get your quick thoughts on on what you've seen from the Rangers lately and if, if you're generally happy with the direction they're heading. So, full disclosure, I did not watch the Penguins game. I was in Connecticut visiting a friend, and honestly, we were outside, you know, with a fire pit and a cigar. So, I did not watch that. I have nothing on that, but they looked great against Washington. I was very happy with the way they played against Washington. They controlled play, and they were they were up for nothing at one point, right? I'm trying to remember this off the top yes. of my head. And yeah, yeah, they Ovechkin scored with a minute left. It was meaningless. Yeah. The game was way over. Right, and there were a lot of people saying that, oh yeah, the Rangers lost the expected goals battle and Chesterkin stole this one. But there was no real nuance to that argument because when you get up three and four nothing in the third period, your game your game plan shifts. And back in the Tortorella days, we called it turtling, and the AV days, he did that as well. You know, every Every coach who's not like your top five coaches turtle when they're up three, four, nothing in the third period. So that really skewed a lot of the expected goals numbers. And I think Valley put something out there that the Caps had a huge expected goals advantage. And you look at the high, medium, and low danger chances, and the low danger chances was like 35 versus high danger of, I think it was single digits. So there's no real nuance to that argument to me that the Rangers got outplayed because they didn't. And then you look at a game where they absolutely laid an egg on today's, so Monday, Sunday or Monday? It was Sunday night, Sunday It was Sunday night. And they absolutely laid an egg, but they had a quote unquote better performance from an expected goal standpoint. And no, they didn't. They looked like shit. And they were tired. They had Greg McKay at, at center. Vancouver ran all over them, and then they got up big. And the Rangers, you know, because Vancouver got up big, they had a statistically better performance that wasn't a real performance. So there's no nuance to that either. And it's starting to get a little bit frustrating that people are not adding context and they're just kind of posting things. I know I am incredibly guilty of this in the past, so... I know, I know. At 38 years old, I'm trying to grow and learn. Took long enough. But I don't If they play the way they did against Washington for the rest of the season, they're going to be tough to beat. But if they play Greg McKegg at 3C for the rest of the season, they're going to be swept in the first round. Yeah, 
I mean, I think that also just shows the, when you talk about looking at single game results, expected goals, you know, scoring chances, any of that stuff, it's really hard to make an argument based on one game or, or one period. And I'm definitely guilty of it. I'm literally in and out of the natural stat trick, you know, page as it updates after the first period, after the second period, after the game ends. Um, you know, almost more out of curiosity, right? Does the eye test line up with the stats? That's kind of what I want to see. Um, and I think in the case of the Washington game, it's just a, it's, it was a very evident that no, yeah. Okay. Washington had more volume. They definitely had more shot attempts that brings up your expected goals number because every shot you take technically has a percentage or even if it's a small percentage chance of going in. Um, but the Rangers were never uncomfortable in that game. And I think you have to look at, like you said, Dave, the posture of the team and the way the team is playing, you know, the Rangers, and like you said, it's human nature, even what, even if, I don't know, Jared Bednar or John Cooper, whoever you want to name as the top five coaches in this league, you know, even if their teams go up multiple goals, three, four, nothing, it's going to look like they're turtling because it's, it's human nature for guys to sit back, make the safe play. You're not going to try and aggressively pinch at the blue line or step up at your own blue line. All, all those things kind of fall away. You play a very safe, almost prevent defense. And if you have competent goaltending, you're going to win that game 99, you know, 990 times, 999 times out of a thousand. Um, I just found it interesting. And I think, you know, some people get so wedded to the stats that, like you said, they avoid bringing context. They avoid say, even saying, oh, hey, you know what? Yeah, you know, the Rangers didn't have great numbers in this game, but they played a good game. It's almost like certain folks aren't able to hold two thoughts in their head. And I think for me, you have to be able to do that, especially as a hockey fan. You know, this is just not a sport. It's very different than the other sports. And I'm certainly not saying that it can't or shouldn't be quantified. You know, I think the stats community has done a great job building um, what they've built because analytics was pretty much non-existent in this sport until 2008, 2009. Um, at least in terms of the public, you know, obviously baseball had a lot more football's always been very, you know, statistically oriented hockey just wasn't like that. And I think, you know, so fine, we built, you know, a nice base of public information. Obviously teams are investing heavily on this front now, but it's still a game where you have to look at not just those results, but also what's the posture of the team. Do they look comfortable? Are they playing aggressive? Are they playing within their, their system? I think one of the great um, examples of this is the Rangers this year where people keep saying it's all Igor, it's all Igor, it's all Igor. And I think that that's wildly overblown, mostly because of the first month and a half or so of the season when it was really all Igor and they were a mess defensively. They are no longer a mess defensively. The numbers back that up to a certain extent, but just watch the team in their own zone. They're much more structured. They stick to their system. Yes, they don't always come up with the puck as quickly as you'd like, so they do spend some extended time in their own end, but they're not running around out of position. They're not missing assignments as much as uh, as they used to, and they're obviously getting great contributions from young players. I mean, Keandre Miller has taken such a leap the last you know four weeks or so of the season that he's become, and if you look at his numbers, his actually, you know, if you look at his uh, RAPM chart, I think his highest, most blue bar is his expected goals against. He's actually become a very good defensive player. So, you know, these are the things that you have to look for, not just, as you said, Dave, you know, posting a chart with no context. Yep. And, you know, we can... Listen, there's a lot of things that are wrong with this Rangers team. And there's a lot of credible 
things that can be said. The Rangers are one and done in the offensive zone, specifically that second line. The Rangers have no role for their bottom six. They're right now just a bunch of guys that play, and we don't know what their defined role is, although it sounds like that Goudreau, Rooney, Reeves line is supposed to be the shutdown line with varying Mm -hmm. results. One of the things that I have given up on is the Rangers being a major zone time possession team. They haven't been since, I don't know, for at least three, four years at this point. And yeah, more than that, that's, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's just not their game. They generate high-quality scoring chances, and for the most part, they finish them. It's a double-edged sword because when they can't generate those chances, everything goes to hell, as we saw against Vancouver, who just took their game and shoved it right back at them. But this is a team that's never going to win the Corsi battle. They're never going to win the shot attempt battle. But what I like this year, and going back to the Keandre Miller thing, that expected goals against Blue Bar, they give up a lot of shot attempts, but they're not usually high quality. And Igor Shosturkin, I, I honestly don't know what the shot distance numbers are anymore. I don't know who tracked them, but I remember the Henrik Lundqvist numbers. His average shot attempt was like 30, 40. It, it was ridiculously close, and it was all Right, it was much closer ha- than the average goalie. Yeah, it was like half the distance than the average goalie. And I would venture a guess that Shesterkin hasn't faced that quality of shot throughout the entire season. That doesn't mean that Shesterkin is a bad... I mean, he's still the Vezina front runner, and he should be the Hart front runner because the Rangers were god-awful those first two months, and he's still bailing them out of those... Uh, if they give up seven to, seven to ten good chances a night, he bails them out of 80, per, 80 to 90% of them. Yeah. So I don't want it to, I don't want this to be read as Shesterkin doesn't have these fantastic numbers and doesn't deserve it because he does. But I don't think he's facing the Lundqvist-style shots that they did, in especially in the AV days. Yeah, I couldn't agree, I couldn't agree more. And this has been a work in progress. It's We've said it all year. It's a new coach. It takes a while to get used to the system. Obviously, they looked a little bit more disorganized in the early part of the year, and now they're starting to figure it out. Look, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of transition to... One of the other main topics uh, that, that I wanted to bring up today, obviously, which is the whole mess that has become the bottom six. You know, it's very interesting. We've been focusing on the top six and the lack of right wing depth and the lack of scoring, you know, punch even in the top of the lineup. And we've been focusing on that a lot this year and especially, you know, in trade deadline talk. And now all of a sudden it seems like the issue is really the bottom six. I mean, with Lafreniere finally figuring it out, looking like a number one pick with Kreider and Zabanajad, that set. I know they've been up and down, but you have to back Panarin and Strom to get back into form uh, and believe that that's going to happen, either with Kako or potentially a trade target uh, on their right wing uh, in, in a few weeks' time. But now, as you mentioned, Dave, the bottom six has become a complete mess. I mean, I, you know, uh, it's just it's hard to figure out. It's hard to um, understand what 
Gerard Gallant wants from Philip Heedle, and I think we could talk about him a little bit as a jumping off point here. Obviously, Heedle was a healthy scratch. Well, he was unhealthy. He was ill, uh, non-COVID ill for the Washington game, but then he was healthy scratch for the Pittsburgh and Vancouver games. Um, for a team that can't score, it's a head-scratching move. Now, look, I know Heedle only has 10 or 11 points or whatever the number is, but obviously he's a much more offensively gifted player with a much higher ceiling. Uh, then Greg McKegg, but Greg McKegg, McKegg was in the bottom six. Um, he, you know, it's funny, Dave, too. The other thing I've noticed, you know, we keep calling the Reeves line because it's, you know, Reeves is on Rooney, the fourth line. They've been I, getting the ice time of a third line and they've been deployed like a shutdown third line. So I think in Gallant's mind, Gallant's mind, he's actually had that McKegg, Baron, Gautier line as his fourth line. And they were only playing, you know, three, four shifts a period. So the whole thing's a mess. He's basically turned his fourth line into his third line and, and his third line into a bunch of spare parts. And it needs to be addressed. I don't know how you address it other than removing Greg McKegg, but even you know, even that's not gonna not gonna change much. So I, I don't know. What what do you see what what do you agree with what I just said? Like where do you see this this group going and, and how can they fix this? I well one hundred percent agree. And it's funny because uh, in order to wrap my head around what we thought what I thought of this. I had to go back to what I wrote this morning. Today's Tuesday, so this morning, and also just what the fourth line is or could be. And if that fourth line is the shutdown line, the uh, I get that the third line way back when used to be the shutdown line, and now nowadays you need three scoring lines. That third line ain't scoring. Especially now with Greg McKegg at center. I'm sorry. I mean that in the nicest way possible. McKegg is fine in the role he's been expected to play. If anything, McKegg as the 14th forward has been a pleasant surprise. Just from his production and his honestly halfway decent defensive play. It's just, he's mm-hmm. not a 3C. He can't score. And if the Rangers are going into the postseason with two scoring lines, one shutdown line and one I don't know what line... They're not going far. But that's where the trade deadline and getting healthy comes in. So post-trade deadline, what I had written was, you figure you're going to wind up with Kreider, Zibanejad, Lafreniere, Panarin, Strom, Kako, or a deadline acquisition. Third line gets a little bit iffy. Maybe it's Morgan Barron. Maybe it's Barclay Goodrow. You get Heedle if he's still here, and then the other of the Kako and and trade deadline acquisition. So right, the middle six winger, the hypothetical middle six winger. Yeah, and depending on who that is, that changes the entire outlook of that changes the entire dynamic of the team. If it's a Joe Pavelski or a Tomas Hurdle or a Claude Giroux or um, who else is available? Who else have we spoken about? Yeah, maybe. Well, so, so like a guy like Raquel is interesting, right? Because he seems like an interchangeable piece that you could put on the third line as a much more competent, yeah, um, yeah. well-rounded scorer than Julian Gauthier. Or maybe he's a fit with Strom and Panarin. And then Kako shifts to the third line, but he's a play driver there. And he's ideally feasting on, you know, the, the other team's bottom six. I mean, there is the possibility that one of, at this point, it's probably not going to be Lafreniere, but one of Lafreniere or Kako ends up back on the third line, which is okay. I think that's totally fine. I think actually those guys just need to accept that and embrace it and run with it. Because look, if Kako comes back 
and the Rangers do get a bona fide top six guy, I've got no problem with a third line of, like you said, let's say it's Goodrow, Heedle, and Kako. That line should be able to do damage and play defense in the playoffs because you got Goodrow there who's an experienced guy who knows how to shut the other team down. Uh, you know, he's been effective late in games uh, in that in those scenarios. You know, Heedle's got the potential to be a good two-way guy. And then Kako has shown the ability to be a, a true play driver in the sense that he suppresses shots and he also creates shots. And Heedle's a lot so, better than people give him credit for on the defensive side yes. of things. And yeah, everyone expects him to be this fantastic top-line center. You know what? He's not. Get over it. He's going to be a middle six center who, you know, if he produces, what, 15 goals, 40 points, I'm happy. And that's what Very, you want out of your third-line center. You put him there. Absolutely. Kako is a fantastic defensive player who is finally starting to get, gain confidence in the offensive zone. And whomever it is as their left wing should be fine as long as they're able to hold their own. And both Goodrow with the experience, I doubt it'll be Barron, so let's go with Goodrow, will be able to hold his own there. And then that leaves your fourth line as some combination of, I'm throwing Ryan Carpenter's name out there because he's been in the rumor mill for God knows how long at this point. Yeah, they really apparently want him. Yeah, so you and he go played with, for Gallant. Yeah, I have a feeling that's going to happen. So Carpenter, Rooney, Hunt, Reeves, McKeg, Gautier. I have a feeling Gautier will be a top nine replacement if there is an injury or somebody's game goes to hell. Yeah. So Carpenter, yep. Rooney, Hunt, Reeves, McKeg. Those are five guys. Three of them will play. And remember, Gallant did scratch Reeves in the playoffs with Vegas when he needed to. So that's yeah, not an automatic yeah. Reeves is going to play. No, and I think there's some games and some times where you want Reeves in there because he provides value, even if, you know, and, and he's not a horrible hockey player. He's got a couple of goals. He's got eight assists this year. So he's, he's he has the ability to put up points when he gets into some open ice. Um, I love yeah, Ryan I mean, Reeves. I think you're if you, I oh, love me him. too. And he's, he's, he's fantastic. He has been a, <laughs> he's been a great addition to this team, no doubt. And but look, if you want to go with uh, you want some interchangeable parts on that fourth line that when we always hold up the obviously because they made the final and very well could have won the cup. But we always hold up that 2014 team's fourth line as an example, because you had Boyle and Moore. By the way, Dominic Moore also could play up the lineup. He 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 played for uh, Derek Stepan in that Montreal series when he got hurt and, and played amazing. Had a couple yep. of, of tr- tremendous assists to uh, to Marty St. Louis early in that Eastern Conference final series. But um, you had Moore and Boyle. They were the stables. And then you were cycling in Dorset and Carcillo. And it was really just about who's healthy, who's got better energy, who might be the better matchup. Obviously, Carcillo had his little you know revenge games against the Flyers, turned, scored a couple of huge goals. Uh, Dorset was a dependable grinder who knew his role and knew how to fulfill that role. So you kind of want to replicate that. And I think you can do that. If you bring in a carpenter, hunt can be that type of player, obviously, you know, Rooney and Reeves, you know what you're getting from them. So I couldn't agree more. And I think that that's why that middle six edition is so important because it, it makes the third line, what it needs to be, which is a scoring line, whether it's the, the new player that's on the third line or it's Kako, that line should have more scoring punch. Uh, after the deadline, for sure. I hope that's what it turns into, because 
what they're doing right now with, uh, what was that third line on Sunday? It was McKeg, Barron. No, Barron was out, right? Oh, no, ba- was Barron out or did Barron play? No, Barron, Barron would have played because Heedle didn't come back. Right, so it was so Barron, was- McKeg, and Gauthier. And I feel bad for Gauthier because, man, he's doing everything except putting the fucking puck in the net. Yeah. Uh, he's snake bit, but he also only has one move, so it's a little bit of both. Is he snake bit, him, or is he just not a scorer? This is I, I I put this out there. We're thinking, oh, five percent shooting rate, he'll get better, but it's it was five percent last year too, and it was actually worse in his like one game the the year before that. He's a five percent shooter right now. There is no basis for him saying for us saying. He's going to turn it around. For all we know, he's this great play dryer, driver, lower the shoulder, get the puck on net, and then he he can't do anything else. He's like Luis Mendoza. He can do everything but stop. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I do wonder as I watch a guy like him, you know, how good is his hockey IQ? You know, there was a play in that Vancouver game where it was at the end, tail end of a power play. Uh, Lafreniere made an amazing pass, put Gautier through in on goal, but he was on a bad angle, kind of coming down from a right wing at a sharp, the right wing at a sharp angle. Keandre Miller was coming in backdoor, stick on the ice. And, you know, look, it's very easy to say as a fan with the benefit of replay and watching the game from the angle we're watching it from. But man, you're looking at that and you're just like, slide that thing across to Keandre Miller and he's got a tap in goal. Instead, he does his normal, you know, drive to the net, bad angle backhand easy save for Demko and the chance goes away so um you know I don't know what to make of Gautier I thought he might thrive under Gallant you know who uh turned Alex Tuck into an excellent young player and now he's you know on the way to becoming a star in in Buffalo um I think they have similar tool sets you know in terms of the way they're built their style of play but Tuck is obviously at this point at least a much 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 better player than Gautier so yeah we'll see how it all shakes out I mean obviously um, glad to have Heedle back in the lineup as we look forward to tonight's game. If you're listening to this on Wednesday morning against the St. Louis Blues. And that brings us to oh, our old friend, Pavel Buchnevich, uh, making uh, his long-awaited uh, return to New York, to Madison Square Garden. Uh, Dave, just lay it on me. How are you feeling about this? I'm avoiding Twitter tomorrow. So it's Wednesday morning at this point. I'm avoiding Twitter today. I am not dealing... With the bullshit we're going to see all over because the Rangers have a right wing scoring issue and we knew that was going to happen if Laugh and Kako did not score. And guess what? They're not fucking scoring. So yeah, the Rangers have an issue and it's exacerbated by Sammy Blay playing three games before getting Slubond. And yeah, now they have a need to trade for somebody. Would we be having... And Vitaly Kravtsov deciding he's out. Oh, yeah, and Vitaly Kravtsov deciding, yeah, fuck off, I don't want to play for Drury anymore, which is a whole separate issue. But the Rangers had this plan, and it involved trading Buchnevich not for cap space. I'm really sick and fucking tired of that argument. They could have afforded him from the cap space, and the people saying, oh, it was cap space, either saying, yeah, they had to trade him, or no, they didn't have to. It's a bad argument. Stop it. You're smarter than... Well, most of you are smarter than that. It's The whole reason was to get... Kako and Lafreniere, top six ice time, which took 45 games to get to, but that's a whole separate issue. And they were going to have Kraftsoff as a, as a right winger somewhere. They were going to have Sammy Blay as a winger somewhere. They were supposed to have on right wing Kako, Kraftsoff, Blay. 
Lafreniere was going to be still on the left wing. Maybe we wind up with a third line of, what, Lafreniere, Hedel, Kako? With, Kra- yeah, with Kravtsov and Panarin's on, Stro- on Strom's line? Yep. Or Kravtsov with uh, Zibanejad and Kreider. Yeah. Kako with Panarin and Strom. Blay with Hedl and uh, Loft, right, which was actually the, the, the opening night third line. And that um, that line was good. That looked, line looked good. That line was good. Yes. So very all good. this got blown to hell. And yeah, I put a lot on Drury for planning this out very poorly. He should have known that sending Kravtsov down was going to set something off. And I don't know what the hell was going through his mind other than, oh, I'm going to lose Libor Hayek to waivers just the way I lost Mason Gearston to waivers, which is a dumb fucking approach, but whatever. He had no injury depth once that happened. And then Sammy Blay got slew-footed and gone for the season. You can't build your roster in a video game. This is an NHL 22, and I have been all over Drury. I have very little faith in him. But to put the Bushnevich trade as a bad trade because of cap space is lazy. And I refuse to entertain this anymore. I came full circle back to that. Yeah, well, and they, they, look, they knew. They knew they had plenty of cap space this year. So they made a conscious decision to open up roster spots for the draft picks, clearly. that And and they wanted to balance the roster with a little bit less uh, east-west skill, finesse-type players and with a little bit more north-south in the bottom six. I mean, look, I'm throwing all the hockey man cliches at there, but that was the approach. Whether you like it or not, that's what they were doing, right? So they made a conscious choice. Obviously, it's playing out in the way that, look, I mean, I think we all expected it might because Buchnevich is a very good player and he was on a very typical young player trajectory. His his scoring numbers were going up bit by bit every year. He, he had become a very good uh, away from the puck player. His on ice metrics are, are, were, you know, kind of went from below average to average to above average. And now they're great. The, unfortunately, look, we have to say it, the guy's a bona fide star player. He's a top what? Definitely a top 15 right wing in the league, right? I mean, I think that's probably fair to say. I'm going to um, check NHL stats right now. This may take a second, but yeah, continue. I mean, let's just, but let's call a spade a spade, right? I mean, the guy's having a career year. He's going to have somewhere between 80 and 90 points for the Blues. They signed him to an extension the second they could. So they obviously did their research and they believe in him as a long-term piece. And they're a team that is, you know, they see themselves as a contender, although I think they're, you know, definitely a cut below the elite in the Western conference. Um, and so look, I mean, I was always a Buchnevich fan. I think you were too, Dave. We all were. We, we loved him for his game. We loved him for his personality. It'll be fun to see him at the garden uh, tonight. Uh, and I, I think the Rangers will probably give him a tribute video. He was here long enough. He was a Ranger draft pick. Um, you know, he wasn't part of, of any of the, you know, teams that went really deep in the playoffs, but he was with them for that one, you know, uh, abruptly ended run in 2017 when they lost to Ottawa, they should have beaten Ottawa. We all know that. Thanks AV. Thanks Nick Holden and Mark Stahl. Um, really, you know, you had had to give me PTSD. Well, I mean, listen, we all lived through it and Buchnevich was on that team. That's the only point I was making. So look, um, he obviously is still friends with Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, probably a few other guys on the team. Um, but the Rangers have gotten along fine without him, and, and Buchnevich hasn't missed a beat in St. Louis, which is which is great for him. I just wish that 
the fan base would let it go. And I wish that I wish that the fan base would get a little bit better at letting every player go when they leave the Rangers because look, it's something you learn usually at an early age in sports. You know, when you're if you're a sports fan as a young kid, you're 8 or 9 or 10, your favorite player gets traded or gets released and you cry and then your mom or dad or whoever your um, you know, sort of mentor is in your sports journey tells you, "Hey, this happens." Your favorite guys get traded, and that's where my favorite, one of my favorite Seinfeld jokes comes in. You end up rooting for the laundry, right? Because the players always change, but the logo, especially with the Rangers, the jersey, the logo, all that stuff never changes. So we are Ranger fans. We want this team to succeed. Yes, even sometimes in spite of the poor decision-making of management. And um, I God, I hope the Rangers win this game 6 to nothing, and Buchnevich doesn't score. But knowing our luck... He's probably going to have at least a point or two. So yeah. anyway, what are you looking up there, Dave? So funny enough, NHL.com has has him listed as a left wing, not a right wing. Interesting. Okay, maybe he, he's playing left wing for St. Louis. I have no idea. I would. I have no idea. So Booch is the 14th highest scoring left wing. He is behind okay. both Kreider and Panarin. <laughs> yep. And the only other thing I wanted to point out was Johnny Gaudreau. I hate plus minus as a stat. It's not indicative of anything, but his plus minus, he's a plus 40. But it's yeah, wild. <laughs> Whenever I see one that pops off the page, I always have that reaction too, even though I know how worthless it is as a stat. It's a terrible stat, but holy crap, plus 40, that is not even the highest in the league. Devon Taves is a plus 42. Elias Lindholm, wow. his line mate, is a plus 39. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah, people are making a MVP case, you know, Hart Trophy case for Johnny Gaudreau. I mean, I don't think he's going to win it just because, you know, Calgary, even though they're having a great year, it's really tough for them to gin up any sort of, you know, national storyline or support. You know, I don't think they're going to be on TNT or ESPN at all this season. So unfortunately for Johnny Hockey, he probably is not going to win the Hart Trophy. But people have floated him as a, as a candidate. Obviously, you know, the McDavid Matthews, Dreisaitl, Shesterkin are your top four candidates, I think. But um, no, he's having an incredible season in Calgary with, you know, Daryl Sutter, the old coach of the LA Kings doing his thing. You know, they are right there in the mix for the, uh, for, uh, you know, as a contender out of the Western Conference for sure. I don't know if he's going to get those MVP votes, you know. Um, The MVP is, it's going to go to McDavid, let's be real. Come on. Yeah. I think it, so too. It, it's going to go to McDavid. He's Especially at, if they make the playoffs, which I, I think they will. Actually, Huberdeau, 18 goals, 57 assists for Florida. 57 assists, holy shit. Yeah, he's got a case as well. I forgot about Huberdeau. It should be Shesterkin, because there is no player who means more to his team, which is the definition of a fucking award, than Shesterkin. Without Shesterkin, the Rangers are a lottery team. Eh, no, 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 I mean, not right, no. But they're probably in the uh, Detroit, you know, uh, Columbus category where they're like on the outside looking into the playoffs. They probably need a really hot finish to the season in order to make it kind of thing. Yeah, so they're, um, they're definitely not battling for the top of the division. Yeah, there are 71 points. Columbus is at 55. They're in the Columbus, Detroit. That, yep, you're right. Detroit's yeah, at 50 I think it's, yeah, I think, something point, 52 points. They're right there, yeah. They'd be looking yeah, at the eight seed. Right, as their only option. So yeah. thankfully they've got Igor. That's all I'll say about that. Um, 
All right, I think we're going to take a quick break and get to the fan questions. But anything else you wanted to touch on, Dave? You know, do you want to have a do you want to say a quick little uh, welcome back to Pavel Buchnevich? Do you have anything to say to uh, Ranger fans as we get ready to to take in the spectacle of of Buch's return to the Garden on Wednesday night? I got nothing about Buch. I'm sick of this shit, and I might actually mute Buchnevich on Twitter for tomorrow. It's getting a little bit ridiculous. Uh, the only thing I wanted to say was just let Filipino play. Give him a line mate that can actually put the puck in the net. And all due respect to Julian Gauthier, little bit. He can't out. do that. He, he can't do that. Put give he Hedl has left Hedl and Lafreniere to be fair have left the assists on the table because their line mates can't score. Yep, that's true. Yeah, and I mean Lafreniere is obviously gonna. I think that assist figure is gonna tick up playing with. You know, Kreider and Zibanejad now, and I think he'll stick there. But um, no, absolutely. And look, I, I think Hedl's confidence has definitely been affected by by all this. And, and you know, look, we can talk about the merits of, of healthy scratching a young player as, as a means to develop him, motivate him. Pavel Buchnevich went through it under AV and under David Quinn. And you know what? You could argue he was better for it. He be, you know, of all the wrong that David Quinn did and, you know, um, I, I certainly think that he uh, had a lot of flaws looking back on it. You know, I think he got Buchnevich right. I think he knew exactly how to push push that kid's buttons. Um, I think he I think he embraced him for his quirky, uh, you know, uh, you know, nature. Um, but he also was hard on him when he needed to be. And and in that last season as a Ranger, you know, this past you know the fifty six game COVID season, Buchnevich was truly a a very very good two way player. He was on the penalty kill if you remember. So. I think you got to give David Quinn some credit there. Um, and I think that, you know, look, it's easy to look at it as a fan and say, you just got to give these kids ice time, let them play through their mistakes. But that doesn't always work. And sometimes you can overexpose a kid. So let's see how Heedle responds to this latest, uh, you know, benching. Hopefully he has a great, you know, uh, end of the season and he goes into uh, into the playoffs with some momentum because that would certainly help the Rangers cause. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Becky and a special guest for fan questions. Welcome back to Live from the Blue Seats. Becky is on with us, and she has brought with her a very special guest. This guest is a uh, a great fan of the show and, and a, a great friend of ours, both uh, in that way, but also in real life. Uh, it's Jess Laporte. She's also, you may know her on Twitter as uh, Jessica Lynn 312 I think she's a pretty well-known, uh, well-known person on there. So, Jess, welcome to the show. We are very excited to have you. We, we've been looking for an opportunity to get you on, and I think this is just perfect. So, we're really happy to have you here. Hi, friends. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I think what we're going to end up doing is going to be a lot of fun for hopefully everyone listening. Yeah, I think so too. And and this, you know, we'll get to it. But it's a question that was sent in a couple weeks ago, and we were like. We need an expert for this one. You're the expert. So as I said, we'll get to that in a second. But first, Jess, I just want to give, you know, the folks who are listening who may not know you, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself really as a as a Ranger fan. You know, tell us your your Ranger fan backstory. How long have you been a fan? You know, what is your earliest memory maybe? And, and maybe give us, um, you know, maybe give us, you know, one of your favorite uh, all-time Rangers as well. Um, okay, so I've been a fan for my whole life. 36 lovely years. Um, 
my family's had season tickets since 1968. So it's been, it's been a long time. Um, obviously, I don't remember when I was really little, but one of my earliest memories was probably anything with Adam Graves. Um, <laughs> my Good answer. Good answer. Favorite player. I, I remember 94, but not as much as I would like to remember it. Um, but yeah, I've just, for as long as I can remember, I've been a fan because of my family. So it's been a long time. But Jess, what did you do on the night that they won in 94? Well, there's two different stories about this. <laughs> um, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. My dad, my uncles, my brother, my six-year-old brother went to the game. I was not invited. <laughs> so, uh, That's terrible, first of all. <laughs> That's horrible. I don't know why I'm laughing. That's just so mean. So I watched the game with my grandmother. So... I watched the game. I would like everyone to know I watched the game. I wrote a note to my dad and was like, the Rangers won three to two. You know, because he didn't know that, being at the game. And then my grandmother wrote a note saying that she thought I fell asleep. I did not fall asleep, because how would I know the score? So. There you go. So I have both notes also. The one that I wrote and the one she wrote. But yeah. That, that's incredible. Um, and so... Jess, before we get to the questions, what are your thoughts about this year's team? Because this has been, I think, one of the more interesting years. I'm really glad we're kind of, you know, doing the podcast every week because there's there's so much to talk about. Obviously, there's a lot of um, there's been a lot of drama and controversy, although that has actually gone a little bit away, I think, lately as, as we've gotten into the, the, the meat of the season here. But, you know, obviously coming off you know, the David Quinn era, um, and now we're into the, the Gerard Gallant era, and it seems like the team's kind of come around again. They're, they're playing much better. It looks like they're going to make the playoffs for the first time in, uh, I guess it'll be five years. Um, where are you with this team? Like, what is your overall, you know, feeling? You know, where's your excitement level at for this version of the Rangers? I love them so much, and I know people are very iffy about them, but if you told me before the season that they would be where they are now, I wouldn't have believed you. So I just wanted them to make the playoffs, hopefully. Or actually, I really just wanted them to be a fun team and enjoyable. So the fact that they are enjoyable and they're going to make the playoffs, it's like, I, I'm not going to complain. I know a lot of people are, are finding things to complain about no matter what, but they're just much fun. And they all love each other. So it just they're a really enjoyable team. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we, we all agree with you, too. I mean, you know, even through all of the, the stuff we've talked about this year, it's been a really fun season to watch. There's been a lot of memorable games. Um, and obviously, there's there's plenty more to come here as we get into the last couple of months of the season. All right. So uh, as we said, we wanted to have you on uh, to answer, really to help out with one specific question. But but we're going to have you join in with the, the rest of the fan questions. So... As always, our lovely listeners have submitted some questions for us to answer here on this segment of the pod, and Becky has those, and I think we're going to turn it over to you now, uh, Becky, to read them. All right. Hey, guys. Good to be back. Good to be back on the, ha- the back end of this this pod. Um, so we've got three questions from this past week and then one from the previous week that Jess has done an amazing job with, and I'm so excited to walk through it, but we'll do that one last. So... 
First question is going to be ripping a Band-Aid off. I am going to hear a thud because Jessica is going to fall over when I ask this question. But our good friend Built to Spill asks us, when Gary Bettman is awarding the cup this spring, which ranger does he call over? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did not tell me this question. Oh, not Jess, you so should go let's... first. Welcome. I, I was going to say, and just... I'll answer it first. For context... Obviously, this question comes up because the Rangers famously have not named a captain in God knows how long. So there is no designated person. So, yeah, Jess, I'm really excited to hear your answer. And I'm really excited to hear everybody's answer, actually. Okay, so I think it has to be Kreider because he is the longest tenured player, which is hard to believe. Our forever rookie is the longest player on this Forever rookie. (laughs) (laughs) He's winning the Calder this year. I feel it. (laughs) Um, and then I think he will quickly give it to Igor because if they're going to win the cup, they're not winning it without him. So, and they're not going to give it to a goalie first. So stupid though. So stupid. They should really just find Hank and give it to him. <laughs> um, I think it'll be Kreider and then Igor. All right, Dave. So Jess actually took part of my answer. They're, they sh- Gary Bettman's going to call a Henrik Lundqvist name. He's just going to be like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck you guys. I earned this. This is mine. You guys are taking second fiddle here. And nobody's going to say anything. And they're all going to accept it. Because nobody has been done wrong more in his Rangers tenure than Henrik Lundqvist. All right, so and then he's going to pass it to Chris Kreider, the only player on the team left that he actually like played a significant amount of his career with. He played with Mika, kind of. A significant amount. Carter was there in 2012. I know. He's been there 10 years. Holy shit, we're old. I know. Saying 2012 was 10 years ago is literally repulsive. So thank you. Uh, 31 years old in April. I just need everyone to know that. (laughs) Like, how is that possible? He was just coming out of Boston. My mic just dropped when you said that. (laughs) Rob, what do you say? Um, I mean, it has to be Kreider, doesn't it? I mean, part of me is like Mika, but, you know, Kreider has been such a leader this year. See, if he was having, and I love the guy, by the way, so don't take this the wrong way, but he was, if he was having like the normal Chris Kreider year, I don't think we would all be saying like, oh, it's obviously him because, you know, there was a, there was a major debate about like, obviously when they were talking about naming a captain, Mika or Kreider, maybe Jacob Truba and Kreider has really, you know, and they talked about it, want, you know, wanting it to happen organically um, and somebody really stepping up and earning it. And I think Kreider's earned it. I mean, I, I would be very surprised if he was not named the captain of this team next season. Not already looking forward to that. But for the purposes of the question, yeah, I think it's Kreider first. You know, he gets the cup first and he's not holding on to it for long because he is a very giving and selfless person. So, um, yeah, I agree with you guys. Yeah. I'm going to fourth that. Um, I agree. Also, I think Carter is going to get it. But I do also think that I hope that they give it to Fox fairly early because I just get that big feeling that he might be our next captain. I think they're going to hmm. pull this like bullshit run around for a while until Mika and Christopher, not not until they are, but like. I think that if one of them were to be named captain, it would have happened already. And because it hasn't, I think they're waiting to like kind of groom um, 
Fox to be the captain. And when I say groom, I don't mean that in a nefarious way. I just feel like that has really negative connotations now. But I feel like they're they're doing all the PR and all the media and everything. And like, he'll be the next captain. I will say I love Barclay Goodrow. And I just really hope he's not like the second guy to get it because it would kind of annoy me. But so if he scores the game goal. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, they need to have a captain where they don't trade him three years later. So Fox does make the most sense because everybody else, you don't really know what's yeah, going on. Yeah, but happen. then you might buy his fucking jersey and then he'll get nope, traded five nope, days later. Nope. Nope. I stopped buying jerseys after Cali. I'm done. I refuse. <laughs> uh, Cali has been good, by the way, commentating. I, I'm like really pleasantly surprised by him. But anyway. Uh, all right, next question comes from at JFC One Ranger, which can only stand for Jesus fucking Christ One Ranger. <laughs> How about you guys conjecture about what Lafreniere's stats would be if he had stayed on the Z line after game number four? So what do we think Laffy's stats would look like had he stayed on the top line? Dave, you're up. Oh, oh Christ. Um, Jesus fucking Christ, indeed. <laughs> so... Uh, it was mostly Barkley Goodrow playing on that top line for a while, right? It was like some kind of odd rotation of Goodrow and Kako. And I don't know why they put Kako there when he was working so well. Uh, so he is... I have to actually pull this up. I have no idea what Laugh's stats are right now. Basically, no power play time. 12 goals, 4 assists... In 51 games. So all even strength this year. I don't think it's out of the realm that he would be at 20 goals if he stayed on that line all year. So we're talking about probably 30 games, 30, 35 games-ish, where he was he was basically on the third line purgatory with Heedle and whomever was on the right wing at any given time. And they could never score because it's not Mika and it's not Kreider. I think 20 yeah. goals, and I think the four assists goes way up because he's not leaving assists on the table like he was on that third line as Julian Gauthier. And we did this, we covered this a lot in the pr- prior segments that you guys weren't here for. Julian Gauthier can't fucking score to save his life. No, he can't. So if you we, give we him, actually reference that in our later question. Oh, sweet. So I think he's 20 goals, 12 assists. 32 points. Yeah. And nobody's talking about his being a bust. Nobody's getting on these stupid Twitter conversations about how Lafreniere is a bust because the stats say so without putting any context behind it. That was really fun to listen to watch today. But yeah, that's yeah that, was, that was miserable as always. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I'm right with you there in terms of, you know, I think it's probably 20 goals, which means he's on pace for 30 for the year. Um, I also think he probably gets more assists than that. I think he's like a 30 goal, 20, uh, you know, uh, not right. Well, sorry, that would be a full season pace. He'd be about 20 goals, 18 assists, I'm going to say. So he'd have 38 points. So what, that puts him at a, you know, he's at about a .75 points per game pace. I mean, yeah, are you looking at potentially a 50, 55, 60 point player? That might be a little bit generous, but... Um, I totally agree on the 20 goals if he was playing with Mika and Kreider all year. Uh, but again, I, you know, until he gets significant power play time, his, his traditional stats, his goals and assists are not going to be that high because, you know, 
that's where a lot of the top players, um, you know, end up really padding their stats. They get a lot of, you know, additional power play points. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of with you there with the 20 goal to, goals, though, for sure, Dave. Jess, what do you think? I was actually going to say the same thing, around 20 goals um, and probably 18 or 20 assists. But I would love to see him on the power play more so. <laughs> it's brutal to look at like zero power play points for him this I know, year. Like, that's, that's brutal. brutal. I know. And prior to be on the penalty kill, then he can be on the power play. But who are you taking off the top power play unit? I mean, well, right, you, yeah, take Strom off. That's the only person I could take off that power play. Well, mm, Strom can go far away right now. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He would be the guy to go for sure. Um, it's yeah. so strange that he doesn't have any power play points. I think there was one goal he scored earlier this year that like happened as the power play expired. Like it was literally like the clock hit zero on the on the power play and he scored. So if that goal happened two seconds later, he'd have a power play goal. It doesn't really matter, obviously, in the grand scheme of things. But it is very bizarre for a guy of his talent um, to not have any power play points for sure. Yep. All right. Our next question is at Nick Blacks 88 asking um, in relation to the game tonight. So Wednesday night against the Blues. How many goals does he score? <laughs> yeah. Do we all know the he? Is he talking about Ryan O'Reilly? Could it be? I don't know. Is he uh, talking about Vladimir yeah. Tarasenko? Is he going to undress Patrick Nemeth like he undressed Dylan McElrath a few years ago? We could have had Vladimir way? Tarasenko. Just think about that. I don't. Yes. I'm going to go drink when I get off this call. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to have a glass of bourbon after this. So, <laughs> um, Rob, you go first. Uh, I am going to the game. So whatever happens, I will witness firsthand. Um, so here's I'm going to say he scores zero goals and here's why. Because I have thought pretty seriously about placing a legal wager uh, on a former Ranger to score. Because if you look at the, that, that bet, by the way, it does hit pretty consistently when the Rangers play against, you know, former, former, uh, you know, former members of the team. The Carolina game being the most ridiculous example with both Faust and Tony D'Angelo scoring. So I think a lot of um, self-loathing Ranger fans made a lot of money. Uh, that game. So, you know, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll probably put $5 on Buchnevich to score. And then with my luck, he won't. So, you know what? I'm going to say zero, but he'll probably have an assist. Uh, that's So I think he's good for a point in the game, but no goals. That's bold. That I'm also, bold. I'm, I'm writing these down. So not not for anything, but just so We you should know. tweet them from the account. Hold everybody, uh, hold everybody accountable. We're going to hold everyone accountable. Jess, your turn. So I want to say zero, but... Since they're going to be on TNT, I just don't <laughs> trust. I, I just think he's going to score one. And he, if Igor wasn't in that, he might score more. But I'll say one just because it's an X-Ranger and they're on national television. And it's, I don't trust them. Okay. Dave. See, I was trying to look up what the odds were for Pavel Buchnevich over under one and a half points. And I was going to base my answer off of that because I am a degenerate gambler now. Because what else am I doing? 
So yeah, for the record, I'm, I'm only doing like yeah, I'm only doing like two or three dollars a bet. I'm not sitting here betting the mortgage on something. So gamble responsibly. Gamble within your means. I say he's a goal and an assist. Rangers win three to two in a shootout. Wow, you're like throwing in like the game prediction here. Love that. Love that. I also think. Listen, Vili Huso. This is a goalie duel. Vili Vili Huso Huso. Whatever. I don't know. I have no idea how to pronounce that guy's last name. Is a great goalie at least this year, and he's giving uh, Shesterkin is uh, is a run for his money here. And I think it's a back and forth game. Two two through OT. Buchnevich has a goal and assist. Interesting. All right, I'm going to say Booch has two goals, no assists, and I think the Rangers win the game. Yeah, I'm with you there, too. I think they're going to win. Yeah. They're due now. They've lost two in a row. They're going to be pissed off after the Vancouver game. I think they're going to win. Awesome. Okay, so All is right. it time? I think it's time. It's time. All right, so again, friend of the pod built to spill, um, masterful HBO fan, asked us prior to last week, to list the Rangers with their corresponding Euphoria characters. So we talked about this a few weeks ago, what TV shows we're watching. I rambled on about Euphoria. It is literally toxic. It will kill you, but it is so good. And it's an HBO show, so like you know that they kind of know what they're doing. So of the four of us, all of us watch except for Dave, but Jess and I are like, abnormal about it (laughs) so we decided (laughs) to take on this task together and I kind of want to give it over to Jess so if you don't watch the show this might be like kind of whatever but like maybe this will make you want to watch the show because maybe you're like man I really want to know who like Chris Kreider is on the show and see if these people are right and you just have to listen and hear who's who so for you built to spill Jess, do you want to start? Sure. Okay. So the first person we have is Rue, who I don't really love the character, but we picked Laugh because he always seems high. (laughs) Uh, Don't watch Euphoria. You probably think we're crazy, but that is chose. Rob, also, I'd love, Rob, your your feedback as we're going through this, because you are not part of this, and yet you watch the show. Yeah, I'm just going to probably be laughing a lot in the background, but um, <laughs> I like that one. He's definitely, uh, obviously, for those who don't watch the show, you know, Rue's the main character. She's an addict. Obviously, very serious subject matter. We're, not, we're certainly not making light of that as a very real thing, and the show deals with it, and I think, in a very, um, a very uh, deep way. Um but yeah, I could see it. I just the thing I'll disagree with is is you know Rue is very much the main character and like the narrator of the story, right? So Laugh doesn't quite have that role, but I do uh, definitely see the uh, like you said, he's definitely a little bit goofy, and Rue can definitely be goofy at times. So an unrealistic um, no, narrator. Good. Yes, an unreliable narrator. Yep. Oh yeah, unreliable. Sorry. All right. Um, so for Lexi, we picked Kreider. Because <laughs> for Ez, we picked Mika. And spoiler alert, they have not had their first kiss yet, and neither have Kreider or Mika, so. <laughs> <laughs> 
but you all know it's coming. But we know it's coming. All know is it coming? coming? Is it coming? Is it coming? Don't even get me fucking started. Sam Levinson. Now, do Kreider and Mika kiss before Lexi and Fez in 2024? Yes. Like, guaranteed. When they win the Stanley Cup and they pass the cup to each other, that's when the kiss happens. So, for Cal, the worst character, we picked Chris Jury. (laughs) (laughs) All I heard was the worst character. Because he's shitty, like Cal, and the Rangers never leak anything because of him. So, he hides a lot. Which we learned yep. that Al hides a lot this season. Yeah. Yep. He Chris Drury may or may not be leading a double life too. To be honest, it's true. One thousand. I mean, he does. He's got that pizzeria thing up there in Connecticut. You know, <laughs> apparently that pizza is some... awful. Uh, really, I, I, I was up good. there and we were considering ordering from it, and they were like, "No, it's awful pizza." And I, I kind of smiled a little bit, saying, "You know what? Good fuck Drury and his bad shitty pizza." He's bad at something. <laughs> He's bad at a few things. That's a great. That's a great one, though. I really like that one. Um, so for Maddie, we picked Truba because he throws people into boards, like Maddie throws people into walls <laughs> and lockers. <laughs> Maddie also had like an amazing character arc this season, and like I think that kind of has something to do with Truba having the character arc of just fucking demolishing people in his path legally in a legal way um also yeah i'll add to that too that you know i think maddie was a character that most people grew to love over time but at first they were they either hated her or were unsure of her and i think that reflects the way a lot of fans feel about truba you know when they traded for him yeah good player but then they gave him that big contract and everybody was like wait is he worth it he didn't have a very good first season and now he's been excellent this season. He's living up to the contract. Um, and he's he's kind of, you know, I think the, the fans have grown to love him, just like Euphoria fans, I think, grew to love Maddie this season. So that one's spot on. That's a really that's a really good one. You guys very clearly thought about this. That's deeply. true. We've got many more to go. So buckle in. <laughs> um, for Nate, we picked Strom because he's emotional. And... Nate had the redemption arc, which Strong had in the beginning of the season, but now, you know, I don't trust him. So, mm-hmm. never trust Nate. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I think also, you know, there's there's just something like slightly off with both of them, where you're like, I want to <laughs> trust, I I want to trust this guy. He's trying to give me reasons to trust him, but I don't really trust him, and I think I have good reason not to trust him. So. We'll yeah. see where it all ends up for both of them. But yeah, no, and that's another good one. And Strom has fought, although he hasn't gotten his ass handed to him. But He has fought. Yeah. Um, Becky, do you want to read any of them? Or- yeah, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take over. So um, Kat, we uh, have her synced up with Heedle because where the hell is he this season? Um, <laughs> much like Kat lost a lot of her lines and and storyline Heedle's just kind of like a healthy scratch right now um at Drury at Gallant Jules um was kind of a more uh prevalent character in the first season kind of like faded a little bit in the second season and so we have her as Panarin 
a little bit quiet, Ooh. quiet, but still driving play kind of behind the scenes, like driving a storyline significant, but not necessarily always in your face about it. Um, were you, what were your guys? Did you guys like? Where do you come down on Jules? And I feel like there's a there's a Panarin connection there too, because like, I think, frankly, people are expecting a little bit more out of Panarin, right? I mean, and and you know, I, I think I read somewhere he's only got like two or three goals in his last nine games. Uh, not a lot of uh, even strength production from him at all. Now, you know, I think with with Jules, it was like you expected her to be, like you said, much more heavily featured, and and she kind of faded. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, were you guys like into Jules for a season or and then like, were you disappointed? Like, what, where do you, what was your whole feeling on how they, they treated her character in this season? I definitely liked her better in the first season than this season. Um, I mean, I love Panarin, so I'm not going to say that he's like Jules to me. But but yeah, I I think that she deserved more this season, personally. Yeah, I agree. I, I still like her. Also, Jewel, just I want to say I've been saying her name wrong, mm-hmm. but um, I I think that she's got flaws definitely in the show and a lot of people are pretty hard on her. But I think that honestly, like what she did in the like one episode this season that like everyone who's watched like knows, um, I think she like deserves all the praise for doing what she did and like whether people like her or not, I think you need to think about the fact that she like probably saved a character. So, um, big, I'm a big Jules guy and I'm also obviously a big Panarin guy. And he is quietly like, he's quietly got over a point per game this year. So we can all be like, Oh my God, like he's so he's not playing as well as he should. And it's like, okay, but he's still playing really fucking well. So relax. Um, all right. Next McKay is Sammy Blay because also where the hell are you? Well, injured um, early out for the year yeah yeah one episode and that's it um cassie psycho cassie is julian gautier um because he's never scoring and is slightly delusional about the fact that they think they might be scoring <laughs> <laughs> kind of a reach but um I think that's, that's a hard one i think the, cassie was probably the hardest one when i was thinking about this when i first saw the question um so I, I could see the 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 Gautier angle. Um and I don't have a, a better name to throw out there. So yeah, I, I I like the delusional. I think I think there's definitely some truth to um Julian maybe believing he's a little bit more skilled and a little bit more effective than he actually is. Yeah. Um okay. Ali is Reeves. He is older, he's super wise and just really cool and no matter what. You kind of want to hear what he has to say. Yes. Comforting presence. Yeah. Um, Ashtray is Ryan Lindgren because he's kind of the muscle and he's always bleeding. <laughs> Remember the open cut on his face that lasted from like October to April? Because I feel like he hasn't had that this year and that makes me kind of sad. Knock on wood. Has... <laughs> yes. He has not bled as much this year. I agree. Knock on wood. Um uh, and although that does seem, it does seem weird. It does seem weird that he's not not bleeding all the time. Yeah. Um, Ethan is Fox because he does it all. 
Um, Ethan played like six people in the play and Fox can do literally everything on the ice. He's a magician. Um, Elliot is McKegg because he's useless <laughs> and he'll never go away. <laughs> and some of this commentary is just as commentary. I feel like she might deliver this a little bit better than me. But honestly. I wish I wish I heard Jess say that. But yeah, that's 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 perfect for uh, for for Elliot and McKegg. Yeah. Jess, you could take the last two. Um, okay, so Suze is Benoit Allaire because she's the best human, just like he is, and everybody loves him. And Faye is Barclay Goudreau because when they first signed him, I wasn't really expecting to like him. I was just like, whatever, why are they signing him? But now I think he's such a gem and I enjoy him. And yeah, so... That's our list. It feels like feels like you know, much like Faye at the end of the season, that Goodrow might come up clutch at the end of the season as well. Mm-hmm. Um, d- yeah, oh, definitely yeah. feels feels like the season's trending for a, uh, you know, Barkley Goodrow is probably going to score a huge goal in the playoffs. I think I think that this season just feels like that's going to happen. So yeah, I just um, hope Lingren doesn't murder someone on the ice right when he's about to do it. <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> well, that was awesome. I'm Jess. Thank you so much, Becky. Obviously, you guys put a lot of thought into that, um, and yeah, I, I hope uh, I hope Bill to spill our friend, uh, you know, who always comes through with great questions um, each week. I hope he's satisfied with uh, with our answers. And you know, look, I think um, obviously not everybody who listens to the show, you know, might be uh, is a Euphoria fan, but I'm sure we've got plenty of listeners that are. So. You know, if you have any uh, thoughts on this, if you want to share your own kind of which uh, Euphoria characters each ranger, just send them to us on Twitter. You know, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll revisit this topic in a in a, a few weeks or something like that. So um, I know there's you know definitely some some of you guys out there. So um, we're just it's head. been a pleasure. Yeah. Oh well, listen. I mean, that's one thing I think everybody has in common, whether you're a Ranger fan, Euphoria fan, or both, is that you're sick in the head. So <laughs> We're literally recording a Rangers podcast and comparing Rangers players to Euphoria characters. Yeah, we're all a little nuts. <laughs> Listen, it's, uh, it's, 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 there's, there's worse ways to spend your free time, Dave. That's all I'll say. That's true. Oh, no, th- this is great. I... I'm now tempted to watch just because I want to know who the McKegg character is. Oh. <laughs> oh. Wait, you should watch. Yeah. It's two very short seasons. You can binge it easily. Mm-hmm. I just binged Peacemaker, and I think we're looking for another show. So I'm just saying. You could do it. There's, yeah. like, literally 16 episodes total. Like, you could do it. But I also have this urge for self-punishment and want to rewatch Game of Thrones again. So. Okay, watch Oof. Euphoria before you rewatch Game of Thrones. Okay. Okay, yay! I'm so excited. Can't wait for your review no next pr- week. No promises, but <laughs> I will If I will definitely do it before I rewatch Game of Thrones. Okay. How about that? Okay. Alright, Dave, you're in. That's, you know, as it relates to all things Euphoria with, with Becky and with Jess, you know, that's you have to be you've basically made a uh, a promise that you can't break now so you've got you've got to watch this show however one caveat i have hbo max do i need i'm assuming they are live on hbo max when they are airing on euphoria that's what i watch on euphoria on hbo 
Yeah. So they're live. And the show's over anyway. The show's over. They've completed two seasons. As long as I don't have to get HBO, because I don't want to spend $15 a month. No, 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 no. Yeah, you're all set. All right, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Another great, uh, another great week here on on live from the blue seats. Jess, it has been a pleasure. We will definitely would love to have you back uh, another time. Yes, thanks for having me. All right, guys, and everybody have a great week, and uh, we will we'll see you next time.